0: You know, when we talk about the transatlantic slave trade and how much autonomy was lost, we're talking about freedom over your body, freedom over your language, freedom over your thinking, over your religion, your spirituality, like everything, everything was stripped, taken away from lands that you knew and stretched so far away from them that there's no way to return. right? So when you mentioned trauma, there were rules against, right? You could be killed for teaching a, an enslaved black person how to read and write. What we're trying to do now is educate ourselves, right? And she said a really, another really profound thing later in our uh, in our conversation. Um, she said, we were fighting for equal access to education, when we should have been fighting for equal access to neighborhoods. Mm. Because where you live, and it's still the case, where you live dictates how how well how well your school how good your school is your right? zip code depends zip code on your life outcome yeah. Yeah. everything yeah, right it's crazy it's yes crazy. yes
1: yeah, yeah. someone's opinion may contradict yours where's my friend Alan it's all about your perspective who are we and what is the nature of this reality. Five, four, three, two, one. What's up, everyone? Welcome to Simulation. I'm your host, Alan Sakian. We are still on site at the American Anthropological Association's annual meeting in Vancouver, British Columbia. We are now going to be speaking with Dr. Rache Daniel Barnes. Hi, Rache.
0: Hi. How are you, Alan?
1: Thanks for coming out of the program.
0: Thank you for having me.
1: We're so pumped for this conversation. (laughs) We're super excited. And before we get into all of your incredible work, You're an award-winning author. You are also the dean of Pearson College at Yale University. yes. Um, We're going to get into all of this good stuff. I'm very excited for it. Uh, Prior to that, I want to ask you some of our questions that we're obsessed about. and We ask all of our guests about. Mm -hmm. Do you feel like we're all one?
0: As in like the human body, community, or like even outside of that, like even nature and animals and all of that.
1: All that is.
0: All that is. Um, I definitely think that there's a, you know, not to be hokey, but you know, the whole Lion King idea of the circle of life. Um, I definitely think that there's a way in which we're all connected. I don't know that I would say that we're all one, um, but I do think that we're all connected. And I think that if we, I think that if we were more attentive to all of those connections, we would satisfy a lot of the problems with our, with our um, communities and um, challenges with our climate and our earth and conflicts and a lot of stuff. Yeah.
1: yeah, that's a perfect lead into where we like going next, which is, is the most upstream issue that's causing all of the downstream issues, those Feelings of separation and that mm-hmm. lack of feelings of interconnectedness.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Definitely. Um, I, I I often define myself as a communal person, and um, and so I think that you know there are definitely ways in which we operate in the world, and I, I it's not everybody, right? There's some groups in our um, in our world to understand our interconnectedness and and behave accordingly and then there are others who are very much more individualistic and think that you know whatever they do has very little to do with anyone else Um, and so yeah i think we definitely have some issues with not understanding how interconnected we are
1: yeah what would be a Principle that you could recommend When we look at things like indigeneity and we look at modernity And we look at what we could potentially do to harmonize these two in a best directional possibility moving forward What are some of the principles that you've experienced yourself that have helped people with those feelings of interconnectedness?
0: Mm. That's really tough, Alan (laughs) Um- I mean, I guess on a very, um, you know, if I think about things like embodiment, which is something that we're really starting to pay more attention to, even in my field of um, anthropology, um, when I think about things that are that are naturally occurring that make us connect more um, authentically with our, interconnectivity it's it's things like music and dance um, yeah. whenever I see people allowing themselves to be moved by music and and movement um, I see that interconnectedness and and I think you know I think sometimes it's you know we get to a point I think in our you know um, our process of moving through our life stages and our life cycles of thinking that we're not supposed to move as much, we're not mm. supposed to dance, we're not supposed to, you know, I, there's a saying that says, dance like, as if no one's watching, yes. and and that's what happens, right? That As we get older, we care, and we lose some of that natural ability to... Um, to be to be interconnected right and I, I've seen you know I'm traveling with my mom and my grandma um, through the conference and yeah. I've seen you know yeah. th- we the, th- the three generations approach life differently because we're in three different life stages yeah. and, and one more with your kids and one more with so my yeah my daughter was gonna come and she wasn't able to because she could not get away from classes uh, so we would have had four generations here in different stages of life. Um, and I see, I've, you know, obviously I've known my grandmother since I was born. <laughs> and she's, she's 91 now. And when I see the way that she interacts with the world, um, it's very different, you know, from say, um, my daughter. and. Um, she's you know gotten to this point in her life stage where um she doesn't she's not concerned about what people think mm. about mm. her mm-hmm. right she um she moves through the world with um generosity and graciousness but is very and I shouldn't say but and is very much just living right just you know, trying to live. And so even her coming to Vancouver was about her, you know, trying to live wholly, fully, right? Um, traveling from Philadelphia um, to Vancouver. So I think, um, you know, I was bringing that up to say that the this issue of, you know, caring about what other people think, I think sometimes keeps us from being able to make the connections um, and approach one another as if we are interconnected. There's so much, you know, hierarchy and politics and, you know, stages, steps, what you're supposed to do, when, how, with whom, um, that I think interrupts our ability to really be in community with one another.
1: Yes, every child is an artist. Every child is wants to dance and unleash mm-hmm. themselves, and we want to keep that through adulthood—the artist and the dancer—and mm-hmm. unleashing our gifts into the world, uh, and to architect a social fabric that's conducive for that, rather than at times feeling like it's choking e- yeah. economic machinery, choking the Absolutely. creativity. Yeah. So there's that, and. And a level of you know, grandmother that's seen the world since mm-hmm. like 1930 mm-hmm. and seen what's happened and mm-hmm. then being able to um, get behind the perspective and know how to, uh, how, wh- wh- what is it, it going to feel like in, in, in 40, 50, 60 years just you know, gliding through as an older person through the world. Mm-hmm. And, um, I want to also take the interconnectedness to even such a thing that is with us all the time, which mm-hmm. is the breath. Mm. Every breath in comes Mm -hmm. from phytoplankton and trees. Mm -hmm. Every bite of the apple comes from the power of the sun. Mm -hmm. There is no separation. Your words are changing my physiology and Mm -hmm. my neural architecture Mm -hmm. as you talk. Mm -hmm. There's just, there's no disconnection. Mm -hmm. And to view it in that way and to teach children that from birth, is, seems to be, a very indigenous principle. Mm -hmm. And modernity, when the children are born into metropolises, there's light pollution, you exchange a sheet of paper for the apple, don't grow food ever. Mm -hmm. Um, So you get these disconnections that that happen. Mm -hmm. And so it does really seem like the intertwining of these worlds and bringing the best from them Mm -hmm. uh, and moving forward is gonna be paramount. Yeah. I also want to see if you have an idea of the purpose of this reality.
0: Of what we're living now? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't... Um... The purpose. Um... I, I would have to say that I that, oh. so you know so I'm I'm hesitating because, my. my my own understanding of my relationship with a higher power has to do with, um, would answer that question from the perspective of. you know, from my from my upbringing, which is about Christianity and about mm, thinking through the pur- our purpose for being here is one that is about living through living out a purpose, living out our own purpose. Yeah. Um, and and finding out and only knowing what that purpose is by by being connected to that higher power. Yeah. Um, so I feel like the purpose for all of us to be here or the purpose for this world at all has something to do with what the higher power sees as our purpose, which I don't know what that is. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes, yes.
1: yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, we were briefly talking about this before we started, mm-hmm. but it is that all of these since the dawn of time, all of these teachings and feelings of the interconnectedness, the unconditional love, the higher power, all these types of feelings, the one, the unity, the source, the big bang, the universe, whatever you want to call Mm -hmm. it, are all pointing up the mountain Mm -hmm. from different perspectives. And it's very pluralistic, coexisting, no problem. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: But even that, to harmonize together on this grand project that is being played out called earth called this big uh, at times it feels like it is a big learning simulation that we're all a part of that mm-hmm. we're we're helping it, it it the one become more alive uh, understand itself better through this game that we're playing that in the deepest levels of interconnectedness. And so this is a big challenge. It feels like this is a big challenge. Will we be able to rise to the occasion to understand the interconnectedness mm-hmm. and to build the next world that has a more conducive social fabric for flourishing? Mm-hmm. And that's what our like one of the main principles is of the program is inspiring people to realize that next world and to all cohesively push for it and build it. Mm-hmm. Because in doing so, we can fulfill the ultimate, pinnacle, paramount destiny of what could be. Mm-hmm. And that's what puts the smile on the faces of us all. Mm-hmm. Um, that's how, that's how I, um, it's been fun to interpret the mm-hmm. reality,
0: mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so it sounds like you think our purpose is to be interconnected and have this kind of um cohesiveness that mm-hmm. is yeah that that makes sense
1: and also individually to be able to um express our gifts mm-hmm. into the world mm-hmm. and make it a good social fabric to make it fun right. for people to do so
0: right
1: so those two things again mm-hmm. it's kind of like an individualism collectivism marriage as well an mm-hmm. interconnectedness yeah, and interconnectedness
0: because there's yeah. a yeah there's a you have your own responsibility um, to live out your your own purpose that but that should be working in you know working in community with everyone else's yes yeah.
1: yes so take us I wanted you to take us through a macro level understanding mm-hmm. of kind of what has um, been unfolding because um, we this really has to go um, back to um, uh, probably somewhere around like the 500 or so years ago of just the process of um beginning to uh go and uh colonize from from europe towards Mm -hmm. the rest of the world and then um having things like the transatlantic slave trade happen and then having uh just 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 honestly put, there is a lot of trauma that needs to be healed, mm-hmm. and we need to grow through that and collectively evolve mm-hmm. and, um, and be honest and loving and caring about all of that process. Mm-hmm. So that has, that has created a lot of complexity in our world. Mm-hmm. Help us see it on the macro level of what you've been doing as an anthropologist.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and you mean... Um, in terms of the history of that or or in terms of... um,
1: And what it brought forth, the history of it mm. and what it brought
0: forth. Um, I mean, I think it's important for us to note that we don't get modernity without the transatlantic slave trade. Um, And so... And so, so, so many things had to be happening um, at the same time for that, to, or not at the same time, I mean, it happened over time, right? We talk about the transatlantic slave trade as if it was like, you know, one blip in time, but it took a really long time um, to, to manifest itself in the way that it, it eventually did, right? That, you know, that when we talk, when we say the transatlantic slave trade, we're talking about, you know, a, a 300 year period um that went through you know ebbs and flows of you know how people were going to be moved and what communities were going to be affected um both in europe and in africa and outside and even the indigenous communities that were affected in the americas um you know by the transatlantic slave trade that that also you know often are not part of the conversation um so you know, a macro view. You know, if I mean, I I guess you're asking if we're thinking about it in terms of, you know, how these how this interconnectedness maybe got got challenged, got broken down or is that where we're headed or. Mm.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, where did where did the thought come that one can own someone else? Yeah. So so
0: that already existed. Right. So historically, slavery existed long before the transatlantic slave trade um but it was done differently so you know people were enslaved in various parts of the world um because of wars or because of debts or because of um uh you know i mean it's always been about resources and uh and territories and so i I can't even tell you when that started i mean that's in all of the ancient texts right that people were involved in slavery in some way um, but it's not until the transatlantic slave trade that we have a moment where people are are no longer being seen as people, right? Because even like when you were, yeah, because even when you over. were enslaved in, in previous periods, um, you you know you were you were in a lower caste, so to speak. Um, but you could marry out of it. Your children weren't trapped mm-hmm. into it. Um, and so you know there were there was freedom even in in the enslavement and that was not so during the transatlantic slave trade right that that freedom freedom ended right there was no more freedom um, over over any part of of yourself right of your autonomy, of your nothing no right no mobility no nothing right not even your language right which is something that i talk with my students about even in terms of the way that colonization took fo- took hold at the same time as the transatlantic slave trade, right? So that, so that European nations were coming into various places and saying, okay, no more your language, right? Our language is the one that you need to know and the one you need to speak. And so I, I've actually had students say to me that speaking in, um, in a mostly European tongue that is not their indigenous tongue is a a type of enslavement in and of itself because being being able to express yourself in your language is often very different from expressing yourself in another language right yeah. the translation isn't exact the emotion the embodiment yeah. right it's not it's not exact and so it it feels like losing parts of yourself. So I bring that up to say, you know, when we talk about the transatlantic slave trade and how much autonomy was lost, we're talking about freedom over your body, freedom over your language, freedom over your thinking, over your religion, your spirituality, like everything, everything was stripped, taken away from lands that you knew and stretched so far away from them that there's no way to return (laughs) right so when you mention trauma right that's one of the things that i'm i know we were going to talk about some of my current projects but but my my off in the distance project is about health and and disparities um uh, disparities in health for black women who i think i'm not a medical anthropologist but just some of the work that i've been reading by people like um Fleta Mass Jackson, um, Leith Mullings, Donna Ian Davis. Um, these are people who have been doing work in, in reproduction care, Bridges uh, have been doing work in reproductive health for black women and starting to theorize um, the effects on, uh, the, the effect of this trauma on black women's bodies over time, right, that you can't actually see. Yeah. Um, everybody's moving through the world, it seems quite well, um, but then when it's time for, uh, you know, for, for, for things that seem very basic to happen, you know, things like childbirth and delivery, um, these things become complicated, be- and we're starting to think it has a, um, um, you know, biomedical um, um, uh, source, so, um, so really starting to think through how. These traumas, you know, because we can talk about these traumas as being passed down um, by a cultural memory, um, but we know that our bodies have memory as well, right? Yeah,
1: epigenetics, yeah.
0: So, yeah, all of that.
1: Yeah, <laughs> my goodness, yeah. When you're giving me this um, th- this visual of kind of a cultural lineage that was experienced by peoples, and then. When it's completely transplanted, I mean it's all stripped away mm-hmm. it's all stripped away I mean it's mm-hmm. w- every component, spiritual, mental, physical, mm-hmm. emotional well-being language i mean it's all just stripped mm-hmm. um, food music, mm-hmm. right all this stuff and then it's yeah that's the real like way to i guess awaken to mm-hmm. what it would be like to you know forbid um, just if we really need something as egregious as a VR experience of being trapped in a dark ass boat and Mm -hmm. chained next to a bunch of other people for people to empathize and realize and heal the trauma. Um, But it's without doubt, I mean, it's also interconnected that when you have uh, something like, it, for me, it's like this big red gaping wound in the Atlantic. That's Mm -hmm. what it like feels like. And Mm -hmm. then it's symptomed out Mm -hmm. with its flowering into Mm -hmm. all other types of issues that we have
0: yeah and i think i mean i do want to be i do want to be clear um that that there was an attempt to strip everything away right but we were able to retain some things um and so you know Despite lots of best efforts <laughs> to to strip it away, right? To strip away all language, all culture, all spirituality. Um, we know, especially as anthropologists, um, and especially in the Black anthropological tradition, we know that many, many things um, were retained, and um, and because people resisted, right? People were uh, interested in finding ways to um, to to keep to keep themselves right to keep some sense of that autonomy and there are a lot of ways in which that has been passed down also right Um, and you know we can see it in even in you know a lot of American music there's there's there are musical traditions that have been um, been retained familial practices that have been retained preparations of foods that have been retained, even foods themselves, because many of them were brought from the West African coast and planted in the Americas, and then people were brought to tend them. So, you know, some of the foods and the ways that they're prepared have been retained. Um, So, you know, I think there's there's a there is a lot of trauma. Um, But one of the things I talk to my students about a lot is that the story isn't all 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 bad, mostly bad, super bad, very traumatic, horrible, but um, we've been a people who, and peoples, right, who have been resilient as well. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Ooh. (laughs) Yeah. It it becomes our um, collective responsibility to um, awaken ourselves to the uh, healing process that needs to happen worldwide um, around these um, deepest issues Mm -hmm. with um, migrations, forced migrations, um, seekings of asylum, border conflicts, um, uh, warfares, um, over time harmonize um, towards decreasing military industrial complex budgets, focusing more on childhood education around the planet, bringing prosperity to all, It's just it's so mind-blowing buying a cup of coffee for $3 in modernity and then realizing that 50% of the planet makes less than that in a day, Mm -hmm. and then looking at modernity and realizing that so many of these things like a transatlantic slave trade was a catalyst of modernity and being truthful about that process. And I'm really happy that you also talked to um, students about the importance of what was the perseverance and what was the grit and the retention of the cultural heritages and lineages and how to actually keep those mm-hmm. um, alive and roaring. Um, yeah, we were um, talking to uh, Tiffany Marquise Jones on the show mm-hmm. as well Yeah, about the retention um, of Chocolate City in DC yeah. um, through spoken word, mm-hmm. poetry and art, mm-hmm. and that's a great way to express um, oneself and keep lineages roaring with light. Yeah, Take us to then How Raising the Race, Mm -hmm. Black Career Women, Redefine Marriage, Motherhood, and Community. Mm -hmm. This is your award-winning book. Yes. How, what was the thesis of it?
0: I have a copy of it. Can I show it?
1: I would love to put it right here on the set. (laughs) Exactly. Now that we have the copy (laughs) next to us, Yes. give us the thesis.
0: Yeah. Huh. Essentially, the book is taking a look at how and and going back a little bit to what we were talking about just a few Mm -hmm. minutes ago, and that is how black communities, um, black families have um, responded to a lot of the challenges to family life that have happened even since slavery. Right. Um, So recognizing that slavery uh, did a lot to disrupt uh, black family life. Um, actually disrupted black family life. Um, So even the, you know, the movement from the continent to the Americas was a disruption, a break, um, because people were not brought here with their families. Um, They were usually taken, stolen from their families. And once here, made to produce uh, workers, right? So reproduction became a means of production. Um, and those, uh, you know, the offspring that were made of that uh, during slavery were then enslaved, right? Um, so black women were forced to, through their reproduction, um, continue to create people who were going to um, be a means of production. Um, and so, What black families have done, though, going back to this idea of of survival, perseverance, retention, um, have worked really, really hard to preserve some sense of family, kinship, care. And over time, um, that has fallen to primarily women, right, to mothers. And so, what what black people in, in America, primarily the U.S. South, but there are other parts of the Americas that have done the same, um, have created what we call a, a matrifocal family um, in response to um, the, the situation, which was that fathers often were not present, um, particularly in slavery, right? Could be sold away or didn't know who the father was, or maybe the father was the overseer or the master. And so, right, no father present. So mothers, women became who raised the children and took care of the community as a whole. And so what I really talk about in the book is, while I'm talking about the contemporary moment and how mothers, Black mothers are responding to the challenges of modernity um, and trying to raise their children and have what is supposed to be a model family they are leaning on a lot of the traditions that they have learned over time through their mothers and the response has primarily been even over time and what i come up with is a concept that's called black strategic mothering Mm. and the idea behind that is over time black women have been having to rethink the way that they interact with essentially the world, right? The workplace, the relational um, parts of themselves um, vis-a-vis their men, vis-a-vis their uh, women, vis-a-vis their mothers, grandmothers, fathers. Um, They've had to create these, uh, these responses that are about the survival of their children first and the community as a whole because it's always been the case that black women have never only been responsible for their own biological children. They've always had to be concerned for the children, the the community of children, right? Um, And so the book really goes into this particular moment and how black women um, who have acquired education, who have acquired um, means, Um, are at a particularly interesting point in our history where they have the ability to make decisions about whether or not they are going to be in the full-time workplace or or be at-home moms. And this is a very new, relatively new phenomenon, right? There have been black women who have worked from home historically. There were protective measures put in place um, especially in the Jim Crow South, because having your, uh, having a black woman working outside the home was what could be particularly dangerous, especially if she was working in the home of a white family um, or at a white business. Um, she was very vulnerable. So there, we have a record of and a history of black women working from home, but this is a little different. This is, I have the, I, I have the education and the, um, and the professional pedigree to work outside the home in a professional context. Um, but I am choosing to make some different decisions about my relationship with work because at this particular moment, I think it's very important for me to be more responsive to my children and my husband, my partner, than to the workplace, which used to be the way that black women really focused on uplifting the community because it was because of the history of the economic system in our country, black women were more likely to be gainfully employed than black men. Even though they were making less money, they could keep their jobs longer usually than black men. So being able to make a decision to leave the workplace means that your partner is able to sustain the household, which is new, and you are able to um, uh, redirect your efforts away from a communal look outward to one that is more inward and focused on your own kids. Now, what's complicated about that is that um, that the black family unit has always tried to be more of a collective, right? Black families have been looked to as ones that were uh, um, examples of how to do child care from a communal perspective rather than a nuclear yeah. perspective, right? Um, so the challenge in this um, upward mobility mm-hmm. um, is that there's a turn away from the communal and one that is more toward the individual. And part of what I theorize in the book is that these women are seeing themselves even though they are turning to an individual um, response that has a lot to do with the neoliberal market. Um, they're they're turning to an individual response, but I argue that it's from a communal perspective because what they want to do is be good representations of black families, right? Because the number of good black families has been declining, and how do we define good? Well. If we talk about marriage and family, many people think about it as two, two, you know, two parents, and they're 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 happy, and they're raising the kids together, and da da da, right? Um, and when I say two parents, I mean. Um, lesbian or gay or whatever the combination is but two parents raising the kids um, and keeping them um, you know safe and on track and educated and so on and so forth so um, it's a it's a really um, it's an interesting time in our contemporary moment to think about um, what kinds of responses people are having to the lack of um, uh, public supports um, and, and even employer supports, right, that make it possible for people to be able to, um, to live out their purpose and be, and be in tune with their, their kids purpose, right, and make sure that those things are going to be successfully attained. That was a <sighs> long answer, sorry.
1: It, it, was, it, it was in the exact amount of nuance <laughs> that I wanted. Oh, good. Yes, I loved it. I loved it. Okay, let's go through that. So we had um, another way of viewing what we were talking about prior to that, where mm-hmm. you gave us an understanding of this role of uh, on top of being moved to... Uh, and stripped away of that of that culture, and being brought to that new place, that then there was this process of, you know, making more humans for the process of production, mm-hmm. of being slaves for production, and then having uh, the uh, the is y- a maternal focus, a ma- mm-hmm. matrifocal, matrifocal, mm-hmm. a matrifocal um, process of raising children, Yeah matrifocal, and then. Over time, then, there's obviously a tremendous amount of um, changes that have happened with, but, you know, you give us the example of, you know, well, women in general, post-Civil um, post, um, post Civil War, post-healing, mm-hmm. um, for us, at least the first parts of the healing, um, women beginning to, you know, raise, raise children at least in, in, in their own homes. Homes, mm-hmm. um, women having the option of you know, g- gaining the right to vote, get, having the option to go to the workforce if mm-hmm. they would like. Lots of time was spent at home raising children for women, and men were able to earn enough money to provide for the entire home. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, nowadays median male income is like very stagnant while well, GDP is skyrocketing. A lot of that, again, 1% taking like 50 plus percent of the actual new fruits that are emerging Mm -hmm. so when we look at what is going on with the movement towards nuclear families in general Mm
0: -hmm.
1: is it then that women entering into hierarchies can be uh, for careers can be both helpful for them unleashing gifts into the world, Mm -hmm. men learning how to also nurture Mm -hmm. children being extremely important and Mm -hmm. as in in Indigeneity was much of that. Mm -hmm. So there's a sort of communalism that was such a vital part of the way that we harmonized our communities, which now has definitely looked in, turned into little like suburban boxes on the hillsides, <laughs> and little units stacked in skyscrapers mm-hmm. on top of each other, mm-hmm. um, and that uh, a big a big question is you know in this coming from the perspective of African Americans is is, an, is a perspective which is um, uh, one uh, a layer of identity. Also, from the whole perspective of just in general, nuclear families going into the little boxes on the hillside, mm-hmm. which is, um, what are we going to do about the process of everyone going into that mode of, of and how do we come? How do we come into some sort of a, a deeper cohesion mm-hmm. um, with our communities? Albeit, um, it's like this is such a different phenomenon it just feels so different to me i've never felt um, studying history with such vigor over time i've never really um seen something that was so deeply nuclearized as it is mm-hmm. and it just it seems like when everyone is spending all of their time in their uh, nuclear styles of, of family with the devices and the internet and the mm-hmm. drone deliveries and the virtual worlds and yeah. and everyone's buying their own goods for that property itself. I mean, yeah. it's it's a very. It kind of also takes us to that point of of disconnection rather than interconnection. So is there also so, is there also like a a, a proposal of sorts to uh, like you indicated it's also kind of about showcasing like. You know, we are we are a successful black mm-hmm. family in the United States, yeah. um, and that's also a very see it be it is such an important modality here. Yeah. And we were also learning that I think Washington D.C. that has the richest black neighborhood, and mm-hmm. then Atlanta yeah. is the second yep. richest. And if you just like look, what are what are some of the skills or habits in those places? Are are we retaining community as we're also going to nuclear families? It's a
0: great question. Um, I think you know. For some of the families that I interviewed, yes, people are, even though they're they're turning their focus towards their nuclear, you know, they're they're wanting to make sure that their kids are safe, right? Because there's especially for black parents, there's a lot of precarity around making sure kids are their kids are fine, right? Um, and we could probably talk for a whole another hour about why that's a source of precarity for black families, particularly even black middle class families, right? Like you, like people expect that, you know, black families that are, that are in low income situations, precarity makes sense, right? There's probably a lot of stuff for you to be concerned about, right? But for black middle class families who think that they're moving from those spaces into, you know, these suburban boxes, um, these, you know, high-rise boxes, they think they're creating some degree of safety, are finding that that safety isn't necessarily there or it's elusive, or they still have to put up some, you know, some mechanisms to make sure that, that they have some degree of control over that. And what they, what they find is that, is that, the way what these women found was that the way that they could ensure some degree of that safety it, what they felt was they needed to pay more attention at home, right? But that didn't mean that they didn't want to also be connected to the community. So many of them, while being very focused on their own nuclear families, were also being very intentional about being in these suburban you know, boxes with other people so that they could find community with those people. So there were a couple of families that I highlight in the book who intentionally moved in a particular neighborhood because they knew that that neighborhood had people that they already knew, that they could do family meals together, that they could, you know, have their kids do swimming lessons together at the community pool, right? So there were ways in which that they were saying, okay, we're, we're nuclear focused, we're inward focused, but we're going to find ways to still build and be in community, right? Um, Still very involved in their churches, um, still very involved in communal organizations that are about, you know, um, volunteering or doing things in, in other parts of the black community, right? Now, it's still complicated. I don't mean to say that this, you know, fixes everything, but there are ways in which interconnectivity is still um, intentional, right? They're still thinking about it from that perspective, even as they are creating these more nuclear family forms that are less about the metro and more about the, the nuclear, yeah.
1: Yeah, this seems to be something that could potentially um, be applied to urbanization just in general, in metropolises in general, as, yeah. as we move into um, more of the Nuclear family-esque behaviors mm-hmm. um, to do things like uh, create more communal activity and yeah. yeah, I really I really like the ones you listed, uh, breaking bread together, yeah. um, doing things like swimming, other communal activities of yeah. learning and experiencing together, yeah, yeah, keeping memories
0: together. Yeah, yeah. There was one woman who talked about how she'd grown up in New Orleans on a street with, you know you know not a lot of means like the people in her community didn't have a lot of means um, and and you know there were like there's like two streets where all the kids knew each other and they all played together um, in her in her upbringing and she said you know when she was looking for a community to raise her family in, she was looking for how to recreate that yeah. and because she wanted her kids to grow up in that kind of that kind of relational space, right, where they were, you know, they they weren't locked away in their suburban house, yeah. but they were out, you know, playing, playing yes. and meeting the other kids in the neighborhood so. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, the my my current project um, is looking at um, how Black women are making decisions about school, yes. and part school of the choice. reason school choice, yes. and part of the reason why I'm I'm on that subject now is because of the women. In my book who were saying that um just kind of jumping off of what you were what we were talking about just before um that the the schools are are a point of contention for for many families um because education
1: is such an upstream
0: issue Yeah. yeah yeah and who's who's educating i mean my session for the panel um um, my session for the conference this year was a panel on um, with, with black women who were talking about the research that they're doing about black education and black schools and we had Signethia Fordham, Dr. Signeetia Fordham who um, wrote two books about um, black kids and schooling. Um, and she she talked about, you know, she made a very good point as we were getting started in the in the panel and she said, you know, we have to differentiate between conversations about education and conversations about schooling. Mm-hmm. Schooling has always been a, a place of contention for, for black kids and black families mm-hmm. because basically they weren't designed for us. We weren't ever supposed to be Educated, right? We weren't ever so. No one. There were rules against, right? You could be killed for teaching an enslaved black person how to read and write, right? Um, So she's like, you know, it was was never. We were never intended, right? What we're trying to do now is educate Mm -hmm. ourselves, right? And she said a really another really profound thing later. In our uh, in our conversation um, she said we were fighting for equal access to education when we should have been fighting for equal access to neighborhoods mm. because where you live and yeah. it's still the case yes. where you live dictates how, how well how well your school how good your school is Right? Your zip code, depends your zip code. on your life outcome, yeah. everything, right? Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Yes, yes. So, um, so that's where I am now. in the In the new project, is looking at how moms, in particular, are navigating those spaces, right? Trying to get their kids the, you know, a good education, good education, yeah. and what that means.
1: Yes, yes, and I really appreciate um, these added. Uh, profound aspects to school choice such uh, such an upstream issue as we were discussing in the very beginning is mm-hmm. the education of the child towards that interconnectedness that unconditional love yep. doing project-based learning around the sustainable development goals healing traumas all this kind of stuff pursuing their north stars etc yeah and oh, i love that yes <laughs> i know <laughs> we all have it and to unleash it
0: yes. um
1: and what that would do for our world and then you, give, you gave us all these added perspectives to it, which is that it's n- fighting for schooling versus fighting for zip codes, mm-hmm. right? and what that could have done. Mm-hmm. Or um, also just education in general mm-hmm. um, is a whole suite of other things, yeah. uh, especially given the newest forms of technology that exist. Um, one can spend a lot of their time educating themselves even outside of the school system. Right. And then how do we then do things like make it so that no matter really, hopefully, wherever you are in the world, that you gain access to the highest level of democratized knowledge possible, yeah. where you yourself can kind of have a, an a la carte buffet of, of options for you to pick what most Feels like your north star and keep going in that direction yeah. and educate yourself along with you know mentors, community, other yeah. kids. Yeah. But oh, you gave that example too, which also is so true. That you, how can one you know if you go through an experience where you do make so many good young friends, you're playing in the streets and all this stuff, but mm-hmm. then you have children yourself and you're like, how do I find a pocket of these boxes <laughs> where it seems like there's actually community for my kids to get raised in?
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> We have a lot of challenges. Um, huh? Where do I start? Um, redirect me, where do I start?
1: I mean, the, mesh, the, the marriage of kind of your book plus school choice, I mean, yeah. it totally makes sense. It's yeah. like, these are what we want to propose now on the social fabric redesigns is again, just like, can we look at things in such a multivariate way where we, we can propose, yes, the information technology wave is here, so we do want to democratize it. Yes. But then there's also the whole zip code schooling thing is still existing. Yes. So how do we decrease obstacles, decrease tensions, increase community spaces?
0: Yeah, these are great questions and things that I think about a lot um, because my new project is rooted in a neighborhood um, that is connected to a neighborhood school. Um, both have been declining over the last 20 years. and. Um, and so, what I've been trying to think about is—is um, is these are com- these are these are communities, right? And community—that the folks in these communities want good schools, right? Um, and they want nice communities, right? Everybody wants the same things. Everybody wants to grow up in a in a nice environment, safe environment, where they can educate their kids and know that their kids are safe and taken care of and loved yes. and and um, and and so when we think about how to marry the access right so much technology we have access we can we could design You know, we could come up with a with a a worldwide syllabus, right, that would that could, you know, be on the the Internet and you could click on the texts, and you could go right to them and and educate yourself. I think that and but at the same time, we can't be so dependent on technology that we don't go outside and connect with our communities. Right. Um, And I I think that. There is room for and definitely there is room for a model that allows us to do both. Right. I think what I'm challenged by is um, there's so much available via technology. I don't think our kids. Know how to scaffold. Mm. They don't know what to pay attention to, they don't know what's a good source and what's not. Mm-hmm. Um, how to know, scaffold? That
1: was a really good way to put it. If you haven't, if you've discovered at least part of what your north star may be, how do you begin scaffolding right. what you learn? Uh, so it's like having a meta perspective on your learning right. um, to get towards that. Yeah, that's. A, I like scaffolding. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: that's good. Thank you. Yeah, um, yeah and so. And so that's the thing, right, it's, a, it's the reason, you know, my husband's an educator and he says all the time that we're going to get to a point where we don't need teachers, you know, he's a teacher, he's a uh, high school teacher, and he says we're getting to, we're going to get to a point where they're, they're going to think they don't need us anymore, that they can, you know, stick a computer on a robot and, you know, the robot talks and the kids learn and um, AI
1: coaches yeah yeah
0: yeah. and then you know maybe and he's you know he says maybe the elite will be the ones who have because they always have will have tutors that you know that that work in work in um, in tandem with the with the robots the AIs um, I, I think there's probably some degree of, of unfortunately, truth to what he's, um, what he's thinking about and guessing at, yeah. um, and that 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 I, honestly that scares me. And I usually tell him, no, 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 we're no, they'll never get rid of teachers. Um, teachers are so necessary. But when we look at the way that teachers are treated, um, and the ways in which teachers are being replaced um, by. S- by well, really well-educated, vetted teachers who teach well, are being, um, they are being replaced by much younger, not as experienced, not as well-vetted, just out of college, young people who are very earnest in their desire to, to, um, to help, and to teach even. But the fact that they are, you know, in some ways being used as a um, as an army of uh, of of um, able enthusiast. to be and able okay. to be able to be paid less oh. and move into these spaces with tech. Yeah. Says to me that my husband might be right that because it'll be way easier to replace them, right, with oh. AI, right? Um,
1: the, and I, I, that's so interesting. So the like, tech, technophiles, people that are like well trained in technology, that also will be that are accepting less pay, um, which teachers should be paid incredibly well, yes. but the um, more tenure teachers are being paid a little bit better. And yes. so they're, yet, yes, the, as the, the, the whole area of where uh, humans are able to complete tasks better than AI is actually really rapidly decreasing. Yes. Just in general. Yes. And so we have to figure out what to do. And universal basic ownership in our future world is going to be crucial. As the emerging technologies and markets come, can we democratize the fruits of those markets and techs to the rest of the planet? Yes. Uh, so there's inclusive stakeholding right. rather than some sort of a speciation on socioeconomic status, which everybody in the back of their mind truly knows is possible. Yeah. And we and we are trying to mitigate that by having, you know, billionaires and governments and corporations around the world. Can you really deeply connect to your hearts? Can you connect to unconditional love and interconnectedness with the environment, with other humans, and try and really see the next world where it could be that everyone's unique gifts are brought forth and that there is no dystopian crap that happens, but Mm -hmm. it's only figuring out how to keep building the next best worlds moving forward.
0: Yeah.
1: That's, I'm just so like wanting to help us focus our directional arrow over there. Yeah. Because the the I mean fear you can you can sell the story about the asteroid hitting the planet or you can sell the story about exploration mm-hmm. and trying to have billions of more people that get to endeavor into consciousness and be creative and feel love and interconnection and bring gifts forth into the world and that's why we should go to other celestial bodies. And there's mm-hmm. there's all these different ways to tell the story mm-hmm. and telling it in the direction of, yeah, there will be benefits to an AI teacher. I mm-hmm. mean, having a whole corpus of biotech knowledge when you yourself are trying to learn about the inner workings of a cell at the level that it, it knows rather than the limited capacity of a three pound um, brain knows mm-hmm. um, is, uh, is it's helpful at mm-hmm. times. Um, but to have uh, something that has a spirit, mm-hmm. something that deeply has a socio-emotional capacity to mm-hmm. engage and Um, that is still gonna be part of the equation we foresee for a while, but then there's still that question mark, and what do we do, how do we have discourse around that?
0: Yeah, yeah, and who, and I think the thing for me too is who gets to decide what that AI is teaching?
1: The inner workings of a cell is a little bit, like, easier. That's easier. That's for sure easier than something like uh, history. Right. Yeah, that one's, (laughs) <laughs> uh, well, yeah, because there's a tremendous amount of um, biases. Right. And um, who programs.
0: Right, which we already know, right? We already know that there a majority are biases. Yeah, they, we already know that. I mean, I just saw uh, Twitter, on my Twitter feed that, that um, there's some tech that they're running right now, I can't remember the source, but there's some tech that they're running right now that, that is meant to read passports and can't pick up darker skin tones. Mm. <laughs> Who programmed that? <laughs> not someone with a dark skin tone.
1: Yeah, yeah. Because if you look at yeah a corpus of images and you don't see any darker skin tones, you're going to know that it's not going to be able to read the darker skin tones. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. So this is a lot of this is really again it's, it comes to inclusive stakeholding, inclusive fitness, just in general. Yeah. Um, you know, having people at the uh, at the table of deciding on where we're going that represent a very unique array of, um, of perspectives about the future of our world, especially the most um, people that have studied philosophy, ethics, morals, um, the most um, uh, spirituality, the most um, uh, in a cohesion with people that have studied science and um, mm-hmm. anthropology, um, uh, d- engineering, design, mm-hmm. uh, all these different fields kind of you know harmonizing for um, the next because uh, if we uh, choose to um, so see the next world as one that is uh, filled with peace harmony abundance and we can like you said earlier scaffold our way to it mm-hmm. um, and sell that story mm-hmm. to get to it that I feel is most prosperity uh, prosperity oriented and less so um, when we look at other stories i i i, I, uh, I your point about um w- what is actually within that uh, ai coach and what it's teaching um, mm-hmm. is uh, really important how it's not biased how it's um yeah mm-hmm. yeah i'm i'm really happy that um this back and forth has uh taken us to also um not only in, within such depths of interconnectedness and in history, but then also to the modernity and future mm-hmm. um, around what we're doing, um, the Dunbar number is really interesting. And there's a lot of projects around uh, little communities of like 150 or so people mm-hmm. um, and, uh, and having um, the growth of food and the um, water c- cycle Processes there, and mm-hmm. the um, and the communal processes there, and the educational processes, mm-hmm. and I think that's also a very interesting component to, to this equation. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, uh, that yeah, that may yeah. be quite vital. Yeah.
0: And people are, I think, people are, are experimenting with that. I know there's a there's a community um, south of Atlanta that is, exp- is experimenting with, um, you know, having these. Uh, communities where um, people are growing food it 's not co-housing, but it 's similar where people are growing food and they um, and they're you know they're they 're doing things you know more locally right and they 're locally sourcing things and they're, and it 's also available to the to the, the out, you know outside you know people who don 't live there um, yeah. but the the thing that that concern that concerns me about how the, even that space is being. Actualized is is it's expensive. It's expensive to live there, <laughs> and so it's you know so so also there's this thing of um, you know even in creating these new these alternatives that are that are getting us closer to um, the collective the collective the interconnectedness um, often they come at a premium, right? They just, they're just they're not happening you know kind of organically. You know it's someone saying, okay, we're gonna <laughs> buy all this land and we're gonna you know we're going to have you know we're going to build housing and it's going to be at different price points but (laughs) it's still going to be you know you know cost prohibitive right for a lot of families who that that could benefit from that and it seems like you know we every time my husband um he's he's um trained as a um um, city planner and engineer and and every time we go into you know one of these older cities that was you know designed hundreds of years ago he's like we already knew how to do this. Why? Why? Why are we creating these spaces? We already know how to live together, right? We already know that you know you have the this you know um, housing that is. Um, designed for for multiple families, and you have green spaces that are designed for you know being in community and being outdoors and and planting and and yet we we go off and make gated communities, and then we make shopping centers yeah. and put lots of parking out front, and it's like yes, <laughs> yes.
1: yeah, cities 2.0 um, for the future of cities. Um, feels um, m- with like a mix between the indigeneity and modernity um, and it feels more like it embeds the interconnectedness and the unconditional love in the communities mm-hmm. and the more holistic systems of food growth and water cycling and energy cycling mm-hmm. um, and this is, this is really great that we're getting to, I want to I ask you one more um, final question that yeah. we ask on the program. Um, What do you think is most beautiful?
0: As a a thing or just anything? Anything. Most beautiful is, is, it's going to sound hokey, but love. (laughs) Um, And what I mean by love is, is, is how it's manifested in in um, care. Um, Yeah, care, I think uh, and generosity of spirit. Um, yeah. That's what's most beautiful to me.
1: Love manifested in care and generosity mm-hmm. of spirit, yeah. yeah. Which feels like it is one of the main achievements that we can have when we find ourselves in this reality. How can we uh, bring that best forth in
0: ourselves? Yeah, yeah.
1: absolutely. It That's brings what I... That selflessness brings us the most um, highest feelings,
0: yeah to, yeah yeah, that's what I, that's what I strive for in yeah. in to to receive and to give yeah. yeah, yes,
1: yes, 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 which we receive every breath and give every breath, I mean it's it's a yeah absolutely right here <laughs> <sighs>
0: appreciate
1: it. Thanks so much for coming.
0: Thank on you, program. Alan. This is a great conversation. Appreciate it. We appreciate you so much. Thank you. Thank Thank you. you.
1: Thanks for all your great work. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. We greatly appreciate it. (laughs) We'd love to hear your thoughts in the comments below on the episode. Let us know what you're thinking. Also, check out the links in the bio below to Roche's profile. Also, her book page. Check that out. Also, check out her LinkedIn and Twitter profiles. Check those out in the bio below. Also, support the American Anthropological Association. You can find their links in the bio below. Support them. You can support the other artists, entrepreneurs, spiritual leaders, organizations in your communities that you believe in and around the world. You can support our show. Our links are in the bio below. Help us, PayPal, Patreon, cryptocurrency. You can join us, design cool merch and get paid. Help us continue doing cool things like coming on site to epic conferences like AAA. (laughs) And go and build the future, everyone. Manifest your dreams into the world. Let's build that next world together. Scaffold our way there. (laughs) We love you very much. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you soon.
0: Thank you. (laughs) <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you.